Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below-average podcaster chats with an above-average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is Patrick Farrell, who was a walk-on for the Villanova University basketball team from 2012 to 2016, and was a member of the 2016 National Championship team. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bridget. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Of course, yeah, it's going to be a great discussion. You grew up in Rockville Center. That's in Long Island, New York. Are you from a big family or a small family? Uh, I'm from uh, kind of a small family. I have uh, two other siblings, but I guess um, from a larger extended family, um, you know, both my parents coming from Long Island Irish families, they each had a few siblings, my mom five and my my dad uh, three siblings. So everybody's kind of spread across the country now, but my immediate family on Long Island is small, but across the country, we're, we're pretty large. Sounds like the typical Irish family. Exactly. Where do you fall in line with your siblings? Are you oldest, youngest, in the middle? I am the youngest. I'm the baby of the family. Yeah, my brother is the middle child. He's three years older, and then my sister is the oldest, and she's six years older than me. Okay, very cool. I'm the baby of my family as well, so always like to have other babies on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good spot. I can't lie. Um, you know, it was it was nice being an empty nester for a little while while both of them were at college and. And uh, having having all the focus on me and all the meals tailored towards me. Oh, yeah, I can relate. And you kind of get away with everything, too, because your parents are too tired from all the years dealing with your older siblings. Yeah, and you learn from the mistakes of the older siblings. It's, it's <laughs> the best of both worlds. Totally agree there. <laughs> so, Patrick, how did you get into basketball? Um, I, I always grew up just kind of playing basketball, you know, more just recreational. Um, you know, it's just always one of those sports that, that, you know, you signed up for CYO or, you know, our town league that we had, um, actually the Catholic school that I went to growing up had a high school way back in the day. And they were always actually a powerhouse basketball team. So, um, basketball was always a pretty large sport in my town. Um, everybody was always super into it. All the parents were, were really into it. A lot of them with basketball backgrounds and a few even with college and, you know, kind of semi-pro backgrounds. So it was, it was always something that, that wasn't the biggest sport in town, but it was around and everybody played it. Okay. And you're pretty tall. Were you the forward or were you a a tall guard? I was always kind of a little bit of a mix. I wasn't always as tall. Um, I would say I was kind of like always in line with everybody on the height range. I wasn't the kid in sixth grade who was like six foot three. Mm-hmm. Um, I got I to gotta hand that one off to my sister. She was like five foot nine in fifth and sixth grade and never grew since. I was always the kid that kind of just like grew at a steady pace, like going into high school was six foot and then was like six two my sophomore year. And by the end of my senior year, I was like six five, six six that I am now. Wow. So I was never like just the, the above average tall kid. I was just the kid that kept growing. Gotcha. Hey, that's good. The late growth spurts can really help out basketball wise. Definitely. You learn skills of, of both positions. So um, it's always helpful. Absolutely. And you also played lacrosse, which I believe is a requirement on Long Island. Exactly. Yeah. When I was saying it's not basketball is not the biggest sport, it's because lacrosse is number one, no matter what town you go to on Long Island. (laughs) So that was always 
my biggest sport growing up and the thing I was into the most because my brother was a good lacrosse player and um, not as into basketball as I was grow like was later in my uh, in elementary school and high school. So we used to always just play lacrosse together. Same with, you know, 99.9% of the kids from Long Island. <laughs> what position were you in lacrosse? I played midfield all growing up, and um, it was actually, you know, one of the biggest draws to going to Chaminade, where I went to high school, was was the lacrosse aspect of it. They had always had a strong program, a lot of kids from, you know, Rockville Center or the Manhasset Garden Cities of Long Island all went to Chaminade with the hopes of playing lacrosse in high school than in college, so that was always the biggest draw for me. And the academics were good, too. Can't forget about that. That's always first. Oh, yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> yeah. You had a great career at Chaminade in both basketball and lacrosse. Let me ask you this. Did you want to play lacrosse in college at all? I did. I actually never really fully intended on playing basketball in college. And I would say that even my initial, you know, uh, introduction to high school basketball was more when my dad told me that, like, I should play a winter sport and I should definitely try out for the basketball team. And that was, you know, my freshman year, and I was all keen on, like, well, I want to be ready for lacrosse in the spring. Like, I got to focus on that. He's like, well, what better way to get in shape than try and play basketball? And that is when I went to try for the team, and I realized, compared to most kids on Long Island, I was like, I think I'm a little bit better at this whole basketball thing than lacrosse. <laughs> Growing up, I was always good at lacrosse, but then when I went to Chaminade, there was, you know, everybody else was far and far beyond me with their skill level. I was still decent, but they were so much better. And then when, with basketball, it's kind of the opposite. Like growing up in my town, everybody was really good. But then I went to Chaminade, and it, like I was kind of ready for the competition there for basketball. Nice. Yeah, and you had a great career. You averaged a double-double, actually, your senior year, and you were an all-league selection. Correct. That was uh, Our senior year was not the best year that we could have had team-wise, um, but, you know, me and a few other individuals definitely had good individual years. It was, it was a shame, you know, our season was kind of cut short, I think, in the quarterfinals when we were the higher seed, and I had actually been – you know, pretty, pretty ill um, the prior few days with, with a stomach virus. And I remember, you know, that being my last high school game and it just being a huge disappointment because I couldn't, couldn't give a hundred percent to my teammate. Oh, that's rough. Can't control when you're going to get sick though. Exactly. Exactly. It was unfortunate and it was an unfortunate way to end, but luckily it wasn't the end of my basketball career. Yeah, no, not at all. But uh, what other highlights do you have from your high school career? Um, I mean, I had a lot of good, you know, a lot of great lacrosse highlights. Um, you know, all my buddies that I'm still so close with to today, I, I actually even say I hang out with my, my high school Chaminade buddies more than my Villanova friends. Um, no knock on my Villanova friends. They're all great, but we've just all been so close since high school. And, and being able to play lacrosse with them and, and compete at, you know, it was probably the highest level of lacrosse in high school for I guess three years I didn't play my senior year for three years was just was awesome we played against great talent from you know New Jersey Connecticut um, across the state of New York and it was just awesome to be a part of of such a high level program at such a young age yeah I bet now why didn't you play your senior year because you wanted to get ready for basketball at that point 
at that point I had, you know, you know, committed to be a preferred walk-on at Villanova um, and knew I wasn't going anywhere with lacrosse at that point. So I kind of took it as like, you know what, this is probably going to be my last break from high-level sports for, for a long time. Um, you know, I went, I went down to Villanova um, going in. So going into my freshman year of Villanova, I went down already that summer. So in June, I started classes and working out with the team and the lacrosse season at Chaminade ended, you know, early May. I really would have just had one month off of playing sports and, you know, kind of enjoying my life as a, as a free individual mm-hmm. for the next four years. So I, I thought it was a good time to kind of step away from, from the lacrosse team. Yeah. And, and God forbid you got hurt that last year playing lacrosse. Yeah, exactly. It would have been a totally different story going into, going into Villanova. So although, although it kind of pained me not to be able to play lacrosse, it, it was great to kind of take a break from sports for, or, you know, competitive sports for a little while and, and just get my mind ready for going to Villanova. Yeah, because then once you're, you know, on a D1 basketball team, you, you don't get a break. So <laughs> good for you. Exactly. It was the, the three weeks in August for, for four years that you get a little break. And other than that, it was it was full throttle all, all the time. So it was it was looking back on it. I don't even think I realized how, how much of a good decision that was to take a little time off. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your recruiting process for basketball. Were other schools recruiting you? Yeah, so I was, um, I guess I kind of made the decision that I was going to go the, the basketball route in college uh, beginning of my, my senior year of high school. There was really only like a few schools that I was looking at for lacrosse, and most of that was just, you know, I didn't even see the field that much in high school, but just a product of being on that team. You were, you know, offered spots at Division three schools and lower Division one schools. So it, it was it was kind of you know, fall of my senior year that I decided that I wanted to go the basketball route. And at the time I was getting recruited by most of the NESCAC schools in division three. So those are like the, I guess like Middlebury Tufts Trinity schools of the world, probably, you know, schools that were really appealing to me because I never would have got into them academically, just, uh, just applying. So, so with basketball is a great stepping stone. Um, and then uh, there was, I was going down to, to Villanova just on kind of like an information session that any other student would go to just because my mom was like, all right, you got to apply to just some regular schools, just in case you're not playing basketball, not playing lacrosse. So when, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's, there was 25 other kids that went to Villanova with me, my, my freshman year from, from Chaminade. So, you know, you apply to like the Villanova, Fordham, Boston College, Boston Colleges of the world. So Villanova was just one of those schools that like, yeah, it's a no brainer. I'm going to apply. My mom was like, you might as well go down and do an info session with them. So we went down. I actually was coming from an official visit from Gettysburg for basketball. And I was going to Villanova to check out the school. And my dad's buddy had a good relationship with Baker Dunleavy, who was the director of basketball ops at the time. And he was like, I'd love to just set up a meeting with you and he can just, you know, walk you around the basketball facilities. It would be really cool to see with no intention of possibly playing there. Mm -hmm. And when I went down to the info session, met with Baker, 
and we started talking about basketball and then he didn't realize that I was like kind of very into playing and was a player. So um, he was asking me about my division three recruiting. And then he also asked me, would you have any interest in possibly walking onto the team? And I was like, well, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, it'd be really hard to pass up. You know, one thing led to another over the course of my senior year, Coach Wright has a lot of ties to, to Long Island, um, which I'll go into further detail later. But uh, he had sent like a couple of his, his cronies from Fordham and Hofstra to come watch me play in high school. And I guess February of my senior year, he said that they would love to have me as a preferred walk-on. So basically, walk-ons normally need to be practice players for a few years and then earn their jersey. But just the position the team was in going into my freshman year, he was offering me a spot to, to actually have a, have a jersey and practice every day with the team. That's awesome. Did you, though, at that point have to decide, because being a walk-on, you know you're not going to see as much time as others would, where if you went to, say, Gettysburg or Tufts, you might see more time. Did you have to kind of figure out which way you wanted to go or just the being a D1 yeah, basketball yeah. player went out? It was it was a lot of um, a lot of lengthy discussions with with both my dad and my mom. And the the final school that it actually came down to for me, Division three wise, was going to play at Hamilton. And um, they have had like a long history of being a great Division three program and had struggled in the years prior. But they had this brand new coach who was looking to turn the program around. And and he was like, it was it was a really hard sell for me to, to for me to go there. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know hours and countless discussions with my parents like weighing the pros and cons uh you know at one point i'm pretty sure my dad being the heavy numbers guy that he is had me you know going through percentages and like weighted averages of what's what matters most to me and what was funny is they actually came out both like 50 50 and we were like all right now i just kind of need to make the decision on based on heart and um you know it, it was really tough to to pass up playing for such a such a great coach like Jay Wright and going to such a story program like Villanova. But also at the end of the day, like Villanova was a very comfortable school for me to go to. Um, I knew the type of personalities of the kids going there, considering a lot of people from my high school went. I, I knew everybody's like background of the, the type of student that went there. So I knew that if it wasn't for basketball, I'd also fit in there socially. Yeah, and also great academic school, too, so it looks good on a resume. Exactly. And, you know, that's not something that you exactly think about so much when you're deciding for schools, but but looking back on it, the the network that I've built from the business school there and everybody up in New York, I, I honestly am willing to say it's one, of, it's one of the best, in the at least in the Northeast. For sure. And I have a lot of respect for walk-ons because for anyone that doesn't know, a walk-on does everything that any other member of the team would do. They're up for early morning practices. They're lifting weights. They're practicing hard, but they don't have scholarships, so they're paying their way, and they don't see as much playing time. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and you know, that's, that's so true. And to be honest, it, it was really tough my freshman year, I think the transition that any normal student makes their freshman year is, is tough to begin with, with social life and academics, and then layering on, you know, basketball being my main focus 100% when I wasn't 
doing schoolwork was was really tough and just to accept that I was never really going to have to play was was something that was hard for me to overcome my freshman year yeah and it's such a selfless concept right you have to be a team player because it's not about you if you're not going to see the time on the floor right and um I think in a program that like like Villanova that Jay Wright runs you realize that even though you're not playing you still have just as much responsibility to be game ready and be ready in practice so I I think it even makes it that much tougher you know he has a saying that um everybody's status is the same but everybody's role is different and that's from all the way from our managers all the way up to the top so you know everybody is has the same status but your role is different so you just got to be locked in 100 percent of the time and did you feel like a true member of the team did you feel like that quote it wasn't just a saying it was actually happening yeah I, I i do think it was happening you know even more so as as you gain more and more respect throughout your years but even from my first day freshman year that was in the summer i remember you know one of the better players on the team two B seniors was Muftah Yaru and he was the nicest guy in the world from the first day that I showed up, you know, with my tail between my legs, so nervous about being on a college campus, playing college sports and taking college classes. And, uh, and he was just the, the friendliest guy and just immediately, you know, didn't matter that I wasn't the five-star recruit. He was going to, you know, take me to Chipotle and teach me as much as he could about the program before I'd step foot on the court. Oh, that's great. And you are truly a member of the team. I love that saying that Jay Wright has. Yeah, I mean, I think if we help out a lot on, on and off the court. You know, part of, the, part of our specialty is we have such a, a good rapport with the players that we could almost act as a liaison between the players and the coaches. Um, you know, a lot of the time we're standing on the sidelines and we're seeing what, what the coaches are seeing. And sometimes it's tough for the players to to accept that the coach is trying to get them better, and he's not just you know on their tail about about anything, you know, just trying to like push them to be the best. So we're able to see that from from the sideline and be able to talk to them off the court about like, hey, like I I know you thought that Coach Wright or one of the assistants was just really hard on you today, but he's actually seeing something, and we're seeing it still. So there's an aspect to it like that that's that's truly, really important to, to helping the team grow. Yeah, that's great. And during games, you guys are the most fired up on the bench, which I think is important, too, because it fires the guys up on the floor. If you make a good play or you draw a charge and you see on the bench all the guys cheering, you're going to get more fired up and want to make another great play. Definitely. And, you know, that, that's a funny story because the way that our role – so obviously Henry, Henry Lowe was my um, – you know, companion since my freshman year. There was other walk-ons with us, Nick McMahon, who kind of showed us us the way, and then Kevin Rafferty, who joined, who joined us after he had transferred in. But you know, Henry and I, we came in together, kind of as like the same preferred walk-ons our freshman year. And um, you know, if you look back on some of our antics on the bench, they were a little bit out of control. <laughs> um, you know. I, I remember, you know, looking back and seeing some of them on like BuzzFeed. I think some of them got on Barstool Sports about you know, us doing, you know, almost like childish celebrations on the bench. But it truly kind of got the team like riled up and a certain camaraderie that it helped. Um, our freshman year at Villanova, we weren't 
we weren't like we were my sophomore through senior year. We weren't like, you know, top 25 powerhouse. Uh, we were coming off like kind of a rough year and, um, and we weren't really sure how coach Wright was going to kind of take those, those bench antics. And after the season had ended, we, we were having a barbecue at coach Wright's house and he actually had the video guy put together, uh, clips of like what he, you know, the bench mob. So it was me, Henry and Nick. And he basically said like, you know, in all my years coaching, I would normally never allow this, you know, what we were doing on the bench, but he was like, these guys, they were just bringing energy every day and to all of our games and it helped fire up our guys. And I thought that's what was great about it. Yeah. That's but, awesome. you know, going into our sophomore year, he pulled his intro off. It's like none of that ever again. It's strictly just getting excited about charges, diving on loose balls and yelling out the scouter and turning the bench. He's like, I do not want to see another telescope. I do not want to see another bow and arrow. That's <laughs> long gone. That was when you were a freshman. Oh man. That's so funny. What was the best bench mob routine though? I, I mean, there was a couple just like funny ones, just like us getting super excited. But the one that like it made all the like viral posts or whatever, and it's, my friends still send me it because it's a gift when you search Villanova basketball. Is I was pulling out like a telescope after somebody hit a three, and Henry was like shooting a bow and arrow. So I was down on like one knee, and Henry was standing above me shooting a bow and arrow while I had a telescope. So. Yeah, looking back on it, it's pretty childish, but, it, you know, it, it was our freshman year. It was fun, and it's what got us really into the game and got us into the program. Yeah, you guys are cheering on your teammates. No bowling yeah, pins, I mean, though, like LeBron did? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I still even look at some of that stuff and some of, like, you know, what these newer age walk-ons are doing, and I'm like, oh, my God, all right. You know, there's a part of it where – you got to remember like you're out there to win a basketball game, not just get the camera on you. So, you know, that's where, that's why our focus really switched to, to really providing the team with what we could help with from the bench, not, not doing the, the celebration. <laughs> now, Jay Wright is one of the most popular coaches in college bas- basketball. It's a mix of his cool, calm demeanor, good looks. He's like a George Clooney clone and having the best styled suits. What was it like playing for him? Yeah, it's, it was honestly, it's, it's one of the greatest experiences you could have, um, from a, a life coaching perspective and also just from a basketball mindset, he truly cares so much about you as an individual off the court that it's, it's far and away from how much he cares about how much you succeed on the court. His whole thing is about making the Villanova student into the best man that they possibly can be. So whatever obstacles they hit post-graduation or whatever comes their way with their family life, he can say that he did his best to prepare them for. Um, it's almost like basketball comes second to him. And, and it's really just focusing on developing you as a person comes first. That's great. That's the way it should be. Exactly. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of coaches, a lot of college coaches that do that. But then there's also the some of the programs that are those one and done programs that, you know, they're really just trying to get, you know, fans in the stands and and have some hype around their program. That's the last thing on his mind. Yeah, I love that he recruits a player that's going to stay several years so they can really develop. I think as a fan, I like that more because you get to watch the kids develop over the years, not having a new group of kids every year. 
Definitely. And I mean, I think the success that the players in recent years have had with the program and then in the NBA kind of speaks to that. I mean, I don't know the stats and I could be totally wrong in this one, but I bet you, if you go back and you look at most of those one and dones, the, the player that stayed for two or three to four years at a college program and really learned how to become a leader has probably excelled more in the NBA, just, just on, on what they could add. Um, yeah, there's probably some of the one and dones that have gotten the bigger contracts, but and we're talking about, you know, the seventh to 15th man on an NBA team that's still getting paid a pretty penny and has been able to stay in the league for a while because they have that mindset. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I've you're definitely fr- seen it from, from my former teammates. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of your former teammates are, are doing really well in the NBA right now. Yeah, and, and, you know, they're not necessarily the stars of the team, but uh, – that mindset of being able to be a part of something bigger than yourself is, is taught by Coach Wright, and, and it really carries over into the real world. Absolutely. They're fantastic teammates. Right. Your freshman year, you get into three games, and you score your first points in a win over USF. It was a home game. That had to be a very special moment. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just special to be able to, to step on the court with, with – uh, the group of guys that, were, that I was teammates with, um, you know, it was, it was special a lot of the times because it meant that we, that we executed our game plan so well. We played such good defense that, that the walk-ons were able to get in and, and try and emulate the same thing that, that the players just did for the past 36, 38 minutes. Yeah. So it was great to be able to just get on the court and be able to prove that, that you knew the values of Villanova basketball and were, were able to translate those into a game. Yeah, that's great. And as you mentioned, your freshman year, Villanova's record wasn't that good. You still got into the NCAA tournament in 2013. You got the 8-seed or the 9-seed? We were the 9-seed. North Carolina was the 8-seed. Yeah, so you lose to 8-seeded North Carolina. Do you ever think about how that it kind of came full circle? Because your senior year, you again faced North Carolina in the tournament. You do all the time? Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, Marcus Page was a freshman when we played them. And there was a couple of guys that were freshmen on that team that we played them out in um, Kansas City when we were when we were the ninth seed, and they were the eighth seed, and we lost them. But there was a couple of guys that were the, that were freshmen on that team and seniors on the team when we beat them in the national championship. I say it all the time. Marcus Page is one of the better players on their freshman team, and 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 we got another shot at him. That's awesome. Sophomore year, you hit your first three pointer against crosstown rival St. Joe's. Can you describe what those big five games are like? The big five games are awesome. Um, you know, it's hard to describe to anybody outside of the Philly area or somebody that went to one of the big five schools how much of a rivalry it is and, and why some of those games are, are so close. I mean, I get I get used to get texts from my friends and still do when, you know, we'd be playing like UPenn who we should, you know, run out of the gym. Um, or even like when St. Joe's having a bad year, like, all right, you guys should beat them by 30, but that's never the case. Whether you're playing them on your home court or their home court, it's always a closer game. It's just, everybody is so amped up for those, for those rivalry games. The coaches know each other's style so well, the players, a lot of them are from the Philly area. They know each other so well and know their games that it always comes down to being, to being a close, pretty game. It's a big deal to win the big five to you guys. 
It is. Yeah. And you know, it's something you don't even realize how, you know, how hard it is to do. Um, you got to bring it four separate nights on sometimes on an away court. And, um, I think my freshman year was the only year that we, that we didn't win it. Um, Temple was, was off the charts that year, but it's not something that's just a cakewalk. Yeah, not at all. How often were your parents able to get to your games? Uh, I'd say they probably made it to like 90 to 95% of my games. Um, they made it to a lot of games. They, they loved coming to the games and, um, when I was there, our four years, the players were all so close, but to be honest, the parents were probably even closer. Um, the parents to this day still have group chats and group FaceTimes and Zooms probably more than, more than we do as <laughs> players. Um, and I think that's part, part of the reason why my, my, my parents used to make the trip to every game. Um, luckily it was close to them. You know, it was only two hours from Long Island. But the away games, they still they still went to, even if that meant hopping on a flight. And like some of their best memories are nights before some of our away games, or nights before some of our NCAA tournament games. So all the parents went out to eat, and like they tell all these stories at like our dinner table, and then they turn to me and they're like, "Oh well, well you you weren't there. You were getting <laughs> ready for the game, so you don't know this story." Oh, that's awesome, and that's so great to hear that the parents were all friends because it means. The parents aren't just rooting for their own son. They're rooting for everyone else's son as well. Exactly. Yeah. All the parents just wanted to see every, everybody succeed. And, and to this day, um, whether it's guys in the NBA or, or somebody like me that's working, working in New York City, the parents are so in, interested on how they're doing and, and hoping that they're doing well. It's, it's, it's part of the, the program that Jay Wright built, too, to, to have these parents so close. Yeah. Amazing. During your junior year in 2015, Villanova wins the Big East Tournament Championship at Madison Square Garden. You beat Xavier 69-52 in the title game. You got in that game. That was pretty cool to to set foot on Madison Square Garden's uh, floor. But would you say at that point that was the biggest moment of your Villanova career, a conference tournament title? Honestly, the conference tournament title was awesome. Um and and honestly, it was it was so great because obviously we only won it one of my four years there, and I would say, you know, my my sophomore year and my senior year, we had just as good a shot to win it, if not a better shot. Um, and we were finally able to to seal the deal my my junior year in 2015, and it, and it was an awesome experience. And to be honest, to be able to bring it on three three separate nights all back to back to back is, is something impressive, but there's something to be said about winning the, um, the conference regular season. And especially with the new big East on how it's set up, you play every team twice, you play them once at home, once at their place, to be able to, to show up for, for whatever it is, 18 games and be able to have the best record at the end of that, I think was more impressive to our team and a bigger accomplishment than than winning the Big East tournament. I agree. Winning the conference is very hard. It's impressive, and it's very hard to do because you have to show up every night. And some nights, you know, you're it's a Tuesday. You're playing at Xavier in Ohio, and, you know, you might have a test the next day, but you still have to show up, be prepared. You're taking everyone's best shot. So I, I, I see what you're saying. Right. And, the, you know, the fortunate thing at Villanova is we were, we were always – the favorite um, when I when I was there in the Big East, 
and everybody's game against you is their biggest game. And Villanova's coming to town, that's their biggest game. And to be able to just to be able to come away after two and a half months and, and be at the top of that league, I think is great. I mean, tournaments are awesome. Winning the Big East tournament, winning the NCAA tournament is is the best, but you know, all it takes is a team to get hot for that for that to happen. Yeah. Um, to be able to win a conference regular season championship means that that you had it all year and you truly are a good team. Yeah, yeah, and you have to have your guard up when you're getting everyone's best shot. Exactly, exactly. During your first three years at Villanova, you didn't make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Even a few of those years when you had great records, that had to have been pretty frustrating for you guys. Yeah, that was tough. Um, you know, my freshman year that we talked about being a nine seed and an eight seed, it, it was a little bit different than the other the other two years that it happened. Um, you know, we were just happy to have had a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, and and we thought we made the most of it. Unfortunately, we obviously lost. But my sophomore and junior year, those those ones hurt a little bit more. I think my sophomore year we were a two seed, and my junior year we were one seed. It, it really showed you how tough the NCAA tournament really is. Mm. And I'll never forget sitting in the hotel room in Pittsburgh after we lost to NC State my uh, my junior year. And I was sitting with, with Ryan Arch and, and Henry Lowe, and we were just talking about like how, how tough it is. I mean, you're getting every best team from every conference, and then also from these major conferences, you're getting teams that, that are normally at the top of their level but just had – an okay year. So they're an eight or a nine seed and how, how much you have to bring in and, and you're on the biggest stage and it, and it's tough to do in front of, in front of a large crowd. And I, I remember saying, you know, if we don't make it out of this first weekend, our senior, I'm never letting my kid watch the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I was like, this is just so hard. This is so difficult. Like this is just the worst. Yeah, and, you know, going with what you're talking about, the one seed always having to then face the eight and nine seed, I feel like the eight and nine seed are always from the major conferences. They're never from mid-majors. So the second game for a one seed is always tough. That's what I always tell people. I'm like, it's always so tough because, um, you know, my, my sophomore year we were a two seed and we lost to the seventh seed who was UConn, who actually beat St. Joe's in overtime. Um, in the first round game and like, you know, UConn had an unreal team. They just didn't have their best year in conference play. Mm-hmm. Um, they still had the, the great players and they ended up winning the NCAA tournament that year. So like, it's tough to say that it, that's the best seating to have a one or a two, obviously, you know, on paper, it looks the best, but you're playing a, a major conference team in that second round. I and mean, we played at NC state, my, uh, my junior year when we were the one seed and they were the eight seed and like, they had a couple pros on their team, a couple just really, really talented big men on their team that, that you know, you see every night in the Big East, but you don't see when you play a mid-major team. Yeah, absolutely. At the start of your senior year, the 2015-2016 season, you're given a scholarship. When and how did you find this out? Um, I found out my... Uh, I. I think it was like just about two weeks before we went back to school. It was August. And, um, you know, it was, it was actually, it, it was an awesome feeling. And, you know, Jay Wright kind of has that tradition for walk-ons that, that spent all four years of the program to, to receive a scholarship. Um, 
their their senior year for kind of you know just thanks for your service and and it was just an awesome feeling it was definitely a great feeling around our house my parents were obviously super super ecstatic <laughs> but uh we kind of knew that like it was coming but we were also like when are we when are we going to get this call when are we going to get this call because <laughs> now like it's two weeks before i'm going back to class like kind of need to send the the tuition check for first semester and i'm like no no like i think we're going to get this call and, and finally it happened so i was i was so ecstatic and and um just to be just be shown some recognition after after three years of hard work is it just so so grateful and so generous for the program to do yeah it is really great recognition because you guys work so hard as i said it's such a selfless job to be a walk-on and, and it's not for everyone so you and fellow senior henry lowe really deserve that yeah it was great um i mean to be able to cap off your senior year with with a scholarship and and also having four years of a fantastic education is, is, is really something that we didn't take for granted and never will. For sure. And Villanova's not cheap, so I, I know your parents were excited, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely were they definitely were the most excited I ever would have got everyone. <laughs> 2016 is really a dream season for Villanova as you guys go 35 and 5 and win the national championship. But that doesn't mean there weren't some hard moments along the way. You go through a few losses early in December, and actually one taking place against Oklahoma on the anniversary of D-Day at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, um, I was actually going to say when you started when you started that um, sentence about it being a dream season, I was like, when I look back on it, it was obviously such a great season. But if people knew like where our heads were at heading into heading into conference play, it it was definitely. It was definitely tough on us, and and part of that was just the competition that we played in non-conference um, that that year in 2015 was just was just so difficult, and it obviously helped us out in the long run. But you know, we played Oklahoma, um, obviously on the, on the base of Pearl Harbor, and and they had such a talented team. Um, and then we also had a really tough loss to Virginia, and we played them at Virginia, which was a great place to play amazing atmosphere but against such a tough team and i remember our, our heads were down a little bit um you know we weren't used to losing uh two games in non-conference and and you know what helped us build off of that was realizing how how great these two teams that we lost to and how much we we learned from those two losses yeah, I think it's better to have tough non-conference schedules because, as you said, even if you lose, you're learning more than if you play, you know, a, a small mid-major school somewhere in Pennsylvania where you're going to beat them by 30. Exactly. I mean, you learn a lot from those games, too. And, you know, there are definitely games where, where again, like we talked about, it's tough to bring it every night when you play those teams. Like, you really got to lock in and focus mm -hmm. because those teams still have a lot of talent. And if you give them, like, a little bit of breathing room they'll they'll be able to to get a get a jump on you because it's such a big game for them but but playing those teams that are so well coached like oklahoma and virginia you you not only learn stuff from the way that you react to things during the games but you learn stuff from how the other team is is super well coached and how to react to that for sure i think it uh, helped you guys out in the elite eight and final four later that season Definitely, definitely. You would have never thought that we lost by, you know, I think it was like 22 points to Oklahoma and, and Hawaii earlier that uh, 
earlier that December when when we beat them by 44. Yeah, wow. That we're, we'll we'll get into that in a minute, but that was crazy. <laughs> but even just right. being in those tough games, you know, against Kansas, Oklahoma didn't end up being a tough game for you guys the second time around, but then against North Carolina where you guys early in the season were, you know, in those in the trenches. So that really helped you out kind of knowing, okay, we're going to set this up, we're going to do this. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I I think that that's totally the case. It's you know, you look back on our tournament run, we played so many great teams, but we were just so well prepared in those in those close tight games. And most of them won our way that year, but but a bit a few of them didn't. Um, specifically thinking about that that Big East tournament um, championship that year, but I think that was one of one of the better losses we had when we lost to Seton Hall in that champion Big East championship game. I think it taught us so much going into the NCAA tournament. I still pin it as one of those things that really boosted us to make that run. Yeah, it seems like the loss kind of fueled you because in Big East Conference play, you only had two losses all conference season. Then you get to the championship. As you said, you lose to Seton Hall in the tournament. Um, but it sounds like that fueled you. I think it definitely not only fueled us, but taught us a lot about ourselves and, and taught us where where we could uh, – improve end of the game and, and be able to dig out a, a game when, when it's, you know, a two or three point game with a minute left. Mm-hmm. You guys get the two seed and finally, for the first time in your career, you make it through to the sweet 16 and you actually scored your first NCAA tournament points in the first round victory. That had to be pretty cool. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. My dad still makes jokes about that because um, he always tells you know, the joke that my son hit the last three against UNC, and then he says under his breath, Asheville. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he always says to his friends, Pat hit the last three versus UNC, Asheville. <laughs> um, yeah, but, it, you know, it was, it, was, um, it was great to make it out of that, make it out of that first round. I, I could honestly say that it was definitely a huge weight off of everybody's shoulders to be able to, to prove that we could do that. Oh, I and put all those media questions behind us about making out of the end the first week of the NCAA tournament and just focus on us. Yeah. Yeah. Then you guys could finally relax and play. And obviously you did that. The sweet 16 and elite eight are in Louisville. You guys crush Miami in the sweet 16, which sets you up with number one seed Kansas in the elite eight. I think a lot of people were probably thinking Kansas was going to advance to the final four. How confident though were you guys going into that game? I, we're obviously extremely confident. We had played teams of, of their caliber. They were obviously, I think they were the overall one seed that year. And, um, and we just knew that we can match up with them. And if we stuck to our core values and did what we did best, basically just playing solid defense, rebounding, and, and moving the ball on offense, we knew we, we had just as good a shot as, as anybody did. Um, you know, we, we've had some history with Kansas in the past. We played in my sophomore year and we were able to beat them. And, and we just knew that we could, you know, although they were the Kansas name and they had all the big names in their team, that we would match up just as well and, and be able to play our game and beat them. Yeah, Villanova wins it 64 to 59. And what's so cool, it was such a team effort. It wasn't like one player went off and scored 45 points. You guys played great team defense and several players had you know, 15 points, 16 points. It was just a great team win. Yeah, I think that was kind of the story of our whole entire NCAA tournament run that year. It was just everybody everybody 
knowing their role and, and playing their role and nobody thinking that they had to be the one to score 20 points in order for us to win. Yeah, absolutely. Take me through the moment when the buzzer sounded and you realize you're going to the final four. Uh, I remember just being so, so ecstatic about it. Um, you know, and not for the reasons of being able to you play in the final four and being, being on that stage, but just for the reasons of, I was so happy for, for all of us as seniors, just being able to, to prove that everybody that we had the leadership and we had the skills to, to play four games, the best villain of a basketball that we could to put us in a position to be in the final four. And I remember as soon as that buzzer sounded, I remember hugging Henry and just being like, thank God we did this. Like <laughs> this, where this is so well-deserved for how much we've been through and how much we've developed over our past four years. It absolutely was well-deserved. The final four was in Houston that year. Can you talk about some of the events the teams have to take part in? Maybe like a banquet, the open practice, stuff that happens before the games even begin? Definitely. Um, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges around the, uh, the Final Four weekend is, is being able to remember that you're there to play basketball. Um, we had so many, you know, press conferences. We had the open practices. We had, um, I think, the, the kickoff night of the Final Four. We had... Um, like where all the players from all four teams went to, uh, went to like the fan zone and we hung out there and then they brought us into like a bigger ballroom type of situation. And we had like a comedy show from one of those basketball comedians. And then we had like certain awards given out and then Jim Nance did like an interview with Grant Hill and everything. And then you wake up the next day, you have to do the open practices there's a lot of distractions going on for you to just remember like, all right, we're here to win a basketball game. Yeah. It almost feels like you guys don't have all that much time to prepare for the final four. Yeah. I mean, I mean, luckily you got the week leading up to it, but you really got to lock in when you do have the time just with your team to, to focus on the scouting reports and focus on your game plan, because outside of that, everything is kind of for show. Yeah. When it's actually time to take the court, you face Oklahoma for the second time that season, as you had mentioned. Honestly, most of the attention had been on Oklahoma and their their great player, Buddy Heald. But when the ball's tipped, Villanova dominates the game. It's not even close as you guys win 95-51. How much was that revenge? How much was that you guys were just all clicking or was it a mix of both? I would say it wasn't, it wasn't as much revenge. Um, we knew they were just a, such a talented team with so many weapons. Obviously, Buddy Heald being, being the number one weapon, that was just an entire just team focus on locking down each player on their team. It started with Buddy Heald just being so locked into where he was on the court, limiting his three-pointers. And from that, our team definitely clicked offensively. Once we got things rolling on defense and once we knew, okay, this isn't, you know, we're not the same team that they came and played and, and were beating us by 20, 10 minutes into the game, we were confident enough to do everything on offense. But it all started with us being able to just click on defense and, and limit Buddy Heald and, and all of their other great players. Yeah, you guys did amazing. And you guys are peaking at the right moment, the exact right moment that you want to be playing your best basketball. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. 
Funny story about that game. Um, I mentioned my dad is a Villanova alum to you off air. So he's a big fan of the basketball program. I root for them, my brother as well. So my brother, his wife, his kid, my dad, me, and my mom were all watching this game. And at one point, my mom just goes, why do they keep scoring? They're already winning by so much. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, it was, I I watched that game recently. Um, I think they were airing it on CBS before a national championship game. And um, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of true, but it was just like, it was almost something that was hard to turn off. Like we were just playing so well offensively and so well defensively, we would have just had to like miss layups in order to stop scoring. Yeah, yeah, and you know you guys have a shot clock in college basketball. It's not like you can just hold the ball for right, ten minutes. Right, so. Yeah. <laughs> I just always thought that was funny. She thought you guys were uh, winning by too much. <laughs> I know that's that's too funny. I'm sure there was a lot of people out there that felt like that. <laughs> you make your final appearance on the court that game. That's awesome, though, to be able to tell your grandkids one day, the last game you played in was at the Final Four in a win. Yeah, it definitely was great. It would be a lot better if the Internet wasn't such a, a big thing. I could tell them I scored 20 points, too, but <laughs> unfortunately, they'll be able to Google anything. But, no, it would be obviously great to tell them and, and that I was able to, to be a part of that and be able to step on the court, which was stepping on a court like, like no other. For sure. And you can show them your ring. Exactly. The 2016 National Championship game, everyone knows it. It's an instant classic. It's back and forth against North Carolina. Michael Jordan was in the building rooting against you guys. <laughs> the late Raleigh Massimino was in the building. Just a phenomenal atmosphere. Yeah, that was it was it was a fantastic atmosphere and um and what an awesome place to play and and again like Villanova fans are just the best and they travel so well. Um I think everybody and anybody that was a student at the time or just a, a major fan made sure they, they made it to that game and it's just you know, it, it at certain points you look around, um, I think maybe more during the Oklahoma game, but it was like wow, we we, we definitely have more fans here. Um, but then you go and play UNC America's team and, and it's a little bit outnumbered, but just how many Villanova fans that were cheering us on throughout the whole thing was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I had Caroline Coyer, former Villanova women's basketball player on the podcast a couple months ago, and she made the, the trip out there. Yeah. A couple of the women's players did, um, most of my buddies that were students at the time did my, my girlfriend made the trip. Um, she was a Villanova student, um, and my my actually my best one of my best high school friends who didn't go to Villanova made the trip as well. That's awesome. At one point towards the end of the game, it looks like Villanova is going to win. Marcus Page hits this crazy shot. He had to like double clutch in the air to tie it at seventy four with about four seconds left. Can you talk about the timeout leading to Chris Jenkins' buzzer beater? What was said? How was the feeling? Because you guys had to be a little bit deflated, I would think. Yeah, I mean, not as much as, as everybody always thinks and always asks that, you know, we must have been pretty deflated. But, but it, everything happened so quick, and there wasn't really a time to, to think, like, oh, like, woe is me. We, we should have easily just won this game, and Daniel should have stole that ball, and we shouldn't have to drop a last second play. But that's not really how... how we were thinking at that time. And, and like I tell everybody that play that we ran at the end of the game is, was no, 
um, nothing that was just drawn up at the last minute. We, we practiced that play every single day of practice to the point where it was like, when are we ever actually going to need this, a full court, you know, four or five seconds left in the game? When are we going to need this play? But we still practice it every single day. And we also even practice the situation where we need to heave the ball down the court every single day. So, so when it came time for that timeout, everybody knew the play that we were running. Everybody was fully locked in and just, you know, anxious to almost get out there and show that we could do it. Yeah, and you definitely did it. But what I love about that play is a lot of times when you see there's only four seconds left, the point guard or the guy who ends up with the ball will just dribble and take a wild shot. Arch didn't. He knew the play, as you said, and he had the unselfishness and the basketball IQ to realize that he wasn't the one open. He gave it to the one that was open. Chris Jenkins nails the three at the buzzer. Right. I mean, I think that speaks to Ryan Arch's four-year career and his leadership, that he didn't need to hit the big shot to, to, you know, prove that he was the best player. He was, you know, he was just trying to do what he could do for the greater of the team and, and make the right play. Um, what's crazy is, you know, we talk about what was said in that huddle. Um, the option for Ryan to take a shot or for Chris was the last of all last options. Wow. Uh, you know, we had three other options that we run during practice. You know, what's the, what's the first one that we run? What's the second one? What's the third? All those didn't ever happen. And, and part of that reason is, is Chris Jenkins said of that huddle, he said, you know, they haven't been guarding the person that inbounds the ball. They've always been sloughing off in the paint and, and not picking that person up right when they cross half court. And Chris said, if you, you know, just drop that off back to me, I'll be wide open. And that's exactly what happened. If you watch the play, the, the guy that was guarding Chris on UNC had to, you know, sprint out from the paint and all the way to try and deflect that shot. And at that point, it was just too late. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can you tell me what the first option is, or does Villanova still run that play? Um, you know, they still run that play, but um, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's basically like the first option for like a three pointer is um, is the two players that are already down on the court. They run like a, a down screen, pin screen for I think it was Josh Hart who was probably in the far right corner to come off and hopefully be open for a three pointer and take that shot. Got it. Nice. What were you thinking when that ball was in the air? Did you think it was good? What, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, everything was just kind of moving in slow motion. Um, <laughs> before I could even think whether or not it was good or not, um, the ball went in, and I just remember being like, well, they're going to have to review this. And as we're running out of the court, like all the confetti's coming down, and I just remember being like, well, I guess we can't now. Like, it's, it's official. <laughs> Um, whoever, whoever was pulling that, pulling the trigger for the confetti that night, either could have lost his job or, or could have been the best time person of all time. (laughs) I think he was a Villanova fan, whoever was doing that. Yeah, he he had to been because he was like, (laughs) we're not cleaning this court up. Cause I always, I always laughed the next year when UNC won the championship, I actually like set a timer for when the confetti went down. There was like two minutes that passed by and finally this confetti went down. Before I could even run on the court, it was already on the court. That's so funny. I need your thoughts on Jay Wright's lack of reaction to the shot. He was so cool. He literally just kind of, I think he mouthed the word bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, part of that is because, you know, he is Jay Wright. He is the most cool, common, collected coach. But I think there's a part of me, too, that was just, 
there was just so much shock and happiness running through him that he didn't know how to react himself. <laughs> um, you know, he'd probably deny that to this day, but, but uh, there was, that was definitely a large portion of it. It's so funny to watch back. <laughs> Tell me what the post-game celebration was like. Um, you know, in the, in the locker room, we were obviously all extremely excited. And I think Coach Wright gave one of, one of the better speeches that, that he ever gave over my four years, just about how, you know, this, this doesn't define us as, as men. We are great men before this and, and how this is just one of the many great things that'll happen to us because we've all just developed into, into such great leaders that, that can take on any challenges that, that life throws at us. And that's one of the main things that I always remember from the locker room. Uh, the post-game celebration after that in Houston was, was dull, as most people don't realize. But, you know, after, that's a late game. And then after you do all the press conferences, after all the celebrations on the court, then you got to get back to the hotel. I think it was like 2.30, 2.45 when we finally got back to our hotel in Houston. And all the Villanova fans had stayed up and they gathered in, in a ballroom and they did a little celebration for us. But it wasn't like a, a late night drinking because even the hotel bar had shut down. <laughs> I remember having like like three beers with my best buddy that that came down to the game and um, and we ordered we ordered room service and I was like it's going to be my one last bill on Villanova, so I just ordered like as much as I could. The, the post-game celebration we got back games were a different story. Those were phenomenal. But um, in the, like, the immediate aftermath of the game, there wasn't too much to do. <laughs> That's funny. I hope you got some surf and turf it's, if it's the last meal on Villanova. Oh, yeah, any, anything. Yeah, yeah. We were staying <laughs> at a nice hotel, so I'm pretty sure I just went down the full menu and ordered whatever. <laughs> How was the parade in Philly? The parade was awesome. I mean, um, one of the best parts about that is, you know, sometimes Villanova catches heat that we're not a Philly school because we're out on the main line. You know, we're not right in Philadelphia. But, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to catch heat when that many people show up for the parade and, and there's that much excitement and you're going down um, Main Street in Philly to City Hall and, and all the offices that are lined up against Main Street are, are all cheering as well. So it, it was just it was an incredible experience, and to be honest, I will probably never be a part of a parade like that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know, but yeah, I guess that's kind yeah, of... Yeah, you uh... never know, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably say I'm not going to be, but, but yeah, so I was so happy to be able to enjoy that. Yeah, at least you got to do it once. But, you know, going back to what you said that Jay Wright said, I think that's awesome. You know, you just win this national championship, and he says, this isn't the greatest thing you guys are going to do in life. I think that's awesome because you guys are going to go on to get married, have children, have jobs. And at the end of the day, it's great that you won a basketball game, but it is just a basketball game. Exactly. And that's something that always sticks with me every day when I'm when I'm at work and, and thinking about what I'm doing. It's just... You know, he basically told us, like, if this is the greatest thing that happens to you in your life, you probably didn't succeed in life because you're 20, you know, you're 18 to 22 years old. How are you going to let the best thing in your life happen at that point? You should strive for other things in life that that should be better than that. Whether that's starting a family or doing well in your job. Absolutely. Hey, have you ever seen the movie Coach Carter? Of course. I love that movie. 
Yeah, great movie. My favorite line is when the principal of the school says that this season is probably going to be the best thing that happens to most of those these guys' lives. And Coach Carter goes, well, I think that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it totally is. Yeah, no. Um, it, never should you let somebody – it doesn't matter what it is. Probably whatever happens in your 20, early 20s when you're 18, should you should probably try and achieve other goals in life. For sure. Just shows you, just another example of how awesome Jay Wright is as a coach and as a leader. Exactly. Ryan Archidiacono was your roommate in college, right? Yeah, for all four years. Oh, wow. Are you guys still friends today? Yeah, extremely close. Um, Yeah, we we talk all the time. We talk at least probably like once a week. Actually, he FaceTimed me before I didn't answer. Um, But we (laughs) talk talk all the time. He could have been on the pod, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can call him in right now. You would answer, but I, uh, I talk to him all the time, and we're so close. Uh, I've gone out to Chicago to visit him a few times. He's he's come to New York and stayed with me a few times. So, and obviously, every single time he's playing in New York, it's it's great to be able to catch up with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely one of my closest friends from the team that I still stay in touch with. That's great. Yeah, he's on the Chicago Bulls now. Uh, hopefully, he ho- he hooks you up with some good seats at the games. He does. When I when I do go to the games, he does hook me up with uh, with the tickets, and it's honestly just it's so exciting being able to being able to see him play on that stage, and um, and even just you know when I was out in Chicago uh, visiting him, it's just so cool that he's a part of that program because you know obviously being a part of NBA any NBA program is amazing, but with such a storied background um, like the Chicago Bulls, it's just like awe-inspiring walking around their their arena and their facilities. For sure. I think I know the answer to this question, but have you watched The Last Dance? I've actually only seen uh, four out of the six episodes. Um, Patrick, what are you doing? I know. I got to binge those. Um, Unfortunately, I'm just like such a sucker for the premium cable on on like HBO and Showtime on Sunday nights that it comes first. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah, a lot of good shows on I, HBO. I'm, I'm gonna make time. I'm gonna make time to watch the uh, to watch the um, the last dance. But there's no spoilers in the last dance. Like I know what happened, but with my shows that I watch on Sunday nights, I can't be reading spoilers. Good point. Good point. What show is on HBO right now? Uh, nothing on HBO now. But I'm I I love the show Billions on Showtime. Um, I think it's phenomenal. Oh, I think yeah. it's the corniest show of all time, but it's like a soap opera, and it just keeps me so entertained all the time. <laughs> no, I've heard and good then, like, before that. that. Before that, like Homeland, which I'm a huge fan of, was on Showtime too. Like right at the same time, usually as as the last band. So I was like, ah, these are gonna have to wait. Nice. And I nice. watched like the first the first two Sundays on like the Monday after, and now I've just fallen behind. <laughs> well, you got time to catch up. We're still in quarantine. I got time to catch up, and like I said, there's no spoilers. I know, I know that he won those six championships. <laughs> Do you watch Shameless on Showtime? That's my Showtime show. I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that show. Um, I think that show is great. Um, yeah, I think there's one more I, Again, I'm up. a sucker for, like, all those shows. I watch all of them. Yeah, it's great. So, Patrick, you graduate from Villanova in 2016. What have you been up to since then? Um, so when I first graduated in 2016, I worked at a private equity company called Blackstone. 
And I was there for, for just under three years and I worked on their, on their real estate team. And, um, so, again, so much of what I learned at, at Villanova, both academically and athletics wise carried over into, into my job there. And, um, and I really enjoyed my, my three years working there. And then I guess March of last year, I moved over to a real estate developer in the city. So we own and develop um, office buildings in, in New York City. So we have about 13 buildings that we own. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it keeps me entertained. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and every day is just a little bit different, which, which always keeps me excited. Yeah, that's nice. I'm betting you still keep close tabs on the Villanova basketball team? I do, yeah. Um, I keep very close tabs on what is going on, and um, I try and always have a friend that's either a graduate assistant or a manager on the team so I can even find out more what's going on. (laughs) Nice, get the inside scoop. Exactly. You know, Henry did that for two years after he graduated, so that was always the easiest. I could oh, just, yeah, whatever was assistant. going on, I was able to just text him or hop on the phone with him and, and find out what, what the real dirty details were. <laughs> nice. Did you go to the 2018 Final Four in San Antonio? So I didn't, and this is actually a funny story. Um, so when they played Kansas, I think that was in the final four, right? They played yeah, yeah Kansas and Michigan in the championship. Um, that was Easter weekend. I was home with my family on that Saturday watching the game, just like, this is awesome. Um, I decided not to go to the, the whole final four just because getting to San Antonio is like not an easy place to get to. And I was like, I'm not sure I really want to go just in case they like lose in the, in the final four. Like, I'm not sure I want to spend all this money and make all this, this big trip to get down there. Yeah. It's a tough so decision. I was like, if they, yeah, I was like, if they win the final four game, I got to have a day, I'll be able to get down to San Antonio. So obviously they're doing super well against Kansas. I'm already looking up flights on, on, uh, on Southwest and, um, and I had family coming in for, for Easter. My grandparents who are on Long Island were coming over. And I was like, I don't want to miss Easter with them. Like, I, I don't get to see them as much. So I was like, I'll fly down Monday morning. So I got the first flight down to, um, to San Antonio Monday morning on Southwest. It was like a trans or layover in Houston for like an hour. Wake up that Monday morning. We're in April now. A full snowstorm. A full snowstorm in, oh, in Manhattan. Right. I'm like, I this that. is crazy. My flight's at like 6.30. I left my apartment in the East Village at like 5.45. And I almost was like, oh, my God, I might not. I'm notorious for cutting it close on flights. I was like, <laughs> I might not make this flight. There's so much snow. The driver's not going to be able to drive that fast. Luckily, we got there. I got in the plane. It is like snowing to no end. And I'm like, we just got to get this flight up in the air. I was like, I don't care. Bumpy, just get it up in the air. And we pulled out to the runway, and then at that point, they were like, we have to go back to the gate, and everybody's getting off the plane. We may cancel or we may delay the flight. At that point, my flight was delayed so late that with the layovers and everything, I couldn't actually get to uh, San Antonio on time. So I ended up just going back into the city and going to work that day and then watching the game with all my friends. fun too though not the work part but the watching it was, it with it your was friends. a blast it was it was so much fun being able to, to to watch with all my buddies in, in new york city but i was like oh my god to think of, and and actually 
that day was super nice. It got warm, all the snow melted. I remember telling people at work, like a snowstorm, cancel my flight. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, what was that? 5.30 this morning, there was a snowstorm. Now it's nice out. (laughs) I remember that day. I do. I Yeah. I remember because I um, that was a big weekend for me because I root for Villanova for men's and I root for Notre Dame, the women's team, and they had won the night before that. And actually, I get on my dad and my brother because Villanova won both games pretty easily. They were kind of in control. Notre Dame had to come back both games and they won it at the buzzer. So I was like, you guys had it so easy. But anyway, I was like pumped to go to work, you know, because I'm in a good mood and I look out the window and it's snowing. I was like, ooh, guess I'm working from home today. But then I was able later that day, as you said, it melted. I was able to get to my parents' house and watch the championship game with, with my dad and brother. Totally. Yeah, it was like a, it was two fully different days within a few hours. I'd say the one benefit, though, is uh, where I was working at the time at Blackstone, there was, you know, probably 90% of my group was Michigan people. So <laughs> to be able to to talk trash them during the day and then be able to follow up with it the next day was, was pretty great too, because I'm not a huge Michigan fan person. Yeah. That, that might've been worth it. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, sometimes I think it was, I was like, this was so great because the weeks, like the weeks prior Michigan was doing so well, they're all running around the office, like go blue, go blue, go blue. And I'm like, guys, like Villanova was doing just as well. And I played there. Like, are we going to mention this at all? Like, <laughs> like forget about you guys. And Villanova was in control that whole game, so you had a lot. It wasn't like they won at the buzzer and it was close. You had a lot to brag oh, yeah, about. Yeah, it was. It was never even a game. I was. I was relaxed the whole entire time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Patrick, I like to end the podcast with a few fun questions. How does that sound? Perfect. Awesome. All right, I kind of know what you're into for TV. What else are you binge watching in this quarantine? Um. So I. I binge watched um entourage from start to finish for probably like the eighth time i always loved that show growing up um and i'm currently binge watching the sopranos from start to finish again nice so to be honest i during the quarantine i like to binge watch stuff that i've already seen a few times because it allows me to somewhat throw it on in the background while i'm doing work throughout the day yeah yeah, you can't really watch something while you're working that you haven't seen before. Cause... Yeah, I've never seen before, but this I could throw on in the background and, like, I still able to do my work. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. What is a hidden talent that you have? Hmm, a hidden talent that I have. I'm a very good cook, I can't lie. Oh, nice, what's chef. your best dish? And to be honest, I made a seafood... Uh, Sausage chicken paella the other night for, for me and my girlfriend. That was like, it was my first time making it. It was, I can't lie, not to my own horn. It was off the charts. It was so good. And I think that's some of, some of the things during quarantine that I've been doing. It's just, I'm like going out, getting different ingredients and just trying new dishes. And, and it's been so much fun. That's awesome. Your girlfriend, very lucky. Not many men like to cook and are good at, are good at it. Yeah, yeah, she's good at she's good at cooking too, and she's uh, she's very very good at cleaning our apartment too. So <laughs> I'll give her that. But but when it comes to making fun dishes, I I've like, you know, my birthday was uh, last month or so, and like the, I was like, all I want to do is just pick up some good food and be able to cook it. Like that's all I want to do for my birthday. <laughs> nice. All right, Patrick. Last question: If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? 
One person dead or alive. Let's see. Oh, I got to go with The Rock. I love The Rock. <laughs> I think one. he is, I think he's like, you know, some people might say somebody like very historic that did something like, you know, out of control. But I think The Rock has an awesome life story. And I think he's the hardest working person in America. That guy's doing like 15 things at once. If I could do two of the things that he was doing, I'd be happy. Yeah, he went from playing football at the U to being a wrestler yeah, to, to now being no an money, actor. To being a wrestler, and now he's the highest paid actor. He's got his own tequila company. He's doing like all. He's doing twelve different things at once. It's honestly so impressive, and he's just a great guy. He seems like he has such good demeanor. For sure, Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. As I said, I think it's awesome what walk-ons do. You guys are so so selfless. <laughs> I really enjoyed your story. Yeah, no, I appreciated talking to you. This is a this is a great conversation, Bridget. Absolutely. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Patrick Farrell. I hope you enjoyed it. He provided some great insight on what it's like to be a walk-on at a major program. It was also really cool to hear about the 2016 National Championship run. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.